are featured BBBYZ Giving Alliance accredited charity seal holders for this episode are Pure Water for the World, Road Scholar, The Ark of the United States. To find out more about these and other BBB Wise Giving Alliance accredited charity seal holders, go to give.org. You're listening to the Heart of Giving podcast with Art Taylor, powered by BBBgive.org. Here we explore the motivations that form the basis of giving and service. We inspire generosity and celebrate the transformative effects that giving and service have on the human spirit and on community. The conversations featured on the podcast also uncover giving strategies that educate and provide tools to help listeners make impactful gifts of both their time and money. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Heart of Giving podcast, powered by BBBgive.org. Give.org is the nation's standards-based charity evaluator, and it's your one-stop source for information on giving and reports on the most asked about charities. I'm Art Taylor. You know, we talk a lot about fundraising and people giving to charities and generosity. In fact, the whole point of this podcast is to inspire generosity and to encourage people to give to things that matter to them and to causes that they want to see promoted. And so it's really helpful when we can bring someone to the show who's working on that almost full time. And today we're going to speak with uh, someone who's leading a major crowdfunding organization. We're going to talk about what we mean by crowdfunding. But we're also going to talk about some of the opportunities and challenges that we see associated with crowdfunding in general and with this particular platform, GoFundMe. GoFundMe and crowdfunding in general is something relatively new in the charity space. I guess we're somewhere around 10 years in on uh, crowdfunding. And it's been an amazing way for people to give peer-to-peer. In other words, we don't have to necessarily give to organizations. We can give directly to people through crowdfunding platforms. And GoFundMe is certainly one of the most, uh, if not the preeminent crowdfunding platform that we see and that we followed and that we've also given through. So today we're going to talk all things crowdfunding, and to do that with me is Margaret Richardson, who is the Chief Corporate Affairs Officer, and Margaret has been with GoFundMe since May of 2022, and she leads the Corporate Affairs team responsible for a variety of issues, including government relations, public policy, and corporate communications. She's had a remarkable career, uh, also making stops at places like Apple and Airbnb, where she was relatively doing a lot of compliance work, preventing and detecting, responding to fraud and abuse. And prior to that, she had the distinction of being the chief of staff and counselor to Attorney General 
Eric Holder when he was the Attorney General of the United States and head of the Justice Department. Margaret also, I have to say this, Margaret, she's a Wahoo, having graduated from the University of Virginia. And I always have to mention that whenever I see someone from the University of Virginia. In fact, you'll get a kick out of this. The other day I was at a supermarket and I looked down the hall, down one of the aisles, and I see this giant of a man heading toward me. And it's none other than Ralph Sampson. Amazing. (laughs) Ralph Sampson. And I knew a couple of people who knew Ralph, so uh, I was really uh, happy to have a chance to chat with him a little bit. What a gracious man. We talk a lot about this new young man who's coming on the scene, who's seven foot four, and he was the number one draft pick this year in the NBA draft. Mm-hmm. I know I'm getting off topic, but I can't. That's remember. okay. No, it's uh, important. <laughs> so this, this <laughs> junk, um, they call him Wemby, right? Wemby. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Victor Wembanyama, I think his name is, seven foot four, number one draft choice. But people forget that forty years ago, literally forty years ago, number one pick in the draft in the NBA draft was Ralph Sampson, out of the University of Virginia, where he had been three times the College Player of the Year, and boy, that was a, an amazing time for people who were in the Virginia community. Absolutely. I'll also say, in addition to meeting Ralph, that my daughter, Jessica, is a UVA graduate also. Ah, congratulations. And she is one of their yeah, she's one of their all time great softball players. Amazing. So Jessica was uh it was great to see her play softball. And you know, we get to make choices in life. I'll always tell the story. My daughter played softball at Virginia. She played in about 220 games or so, and I saw about 200 of them. That's fantastic. Wherever they went, I went. So I just made it possible. And, you know, you get to make choices in life. Some people don't get to do it. It was just a joy to be able to see that. And I, so I called myself a Wahoo, too. I know we're getting off track, Mark. But let's no, get back No, but that's, to- hey, I love it. I love it. Wahoo-wah. <laughs> Wahoo-wah. <laughs> so, Margaret, welcome to the Heart of Giving podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real honor. Margaret, you've done a lot of things in your life. You've been very fortunate to have been in some really prestigious companies and doing some important work. How did you end up at GoFundMe? So I feel incredibly lucky to have landed at GoFundMe. I found myself when I was still at my previous role, I had a friend who was on the board of GoFundMe and she was talking about some of the ways in which the company was going to be expanding. And we had worked together at Airbnb and she said, you know, the CEO is just incredible. We're looking for someone to think about policy in the ways that I had done in previous roles. And she said, maybe you could talk to him and think about how we might think about this role. And as I spoke to Tim Cadogan, the CER CEO, who is a visionary and an incredibly impressive person about what he thought was possible through GoFundMe, I knew it was something that I wanted to be a part of. And so as he was imagining the ways in which we could help people all over the world become the one-stop place for anyone who needed resources or who wanted to share resources with people in their community or beyond on causes that they cared about, 
I thought there were some really unique things that I could bring to this organization and help to build out a, a great team that could complement the phenomenal people who are already here. So, Margaret, what I wanted to ask you next was really about the product. What actually happens when a person makes a gift through GoFundMe? I think we assume we know how it works, but tell us about how it actually works. Sure. Well, maybe I'll st- take a step back because okay. the, um, the product really starts with someone making a request and it's, okay. it's very easy and straightforward. Someone writes their story. They describe what it is they're raising money for. Often we'll put up a photograph or they can record a video through our app or through other video recording programs. And they put that request out to their network, typically via email or different social media platforms. But then when it reaches a potential donor, usually a friend or family member or somebody in their extended network, that person then can make read the story or watch the video and understand what is that need and be able to participate, to be able to say, you know what, I want to help with this person's Uh, priority to help with this cause that they're raising money for. And so then we, with our payments processors, enable the payments to go through and then the money is kept safe so that the person who's raising money is able to either access it themselves or if they're raising it for somebody else, that beneficiary is able to access it consistent with all the rules and and laws of compliance. And then we are able to help to facilitate that. So really, the, the it's a two-step process, the asking and then the offering of those donations. And all along the way, GoFundMe has people who, and technology, aimed at keeping those, at protecting that generosity really is what it comes down to, to make sure that we are enabling people to really focus on the human connection and that the strengthening of that human connection that comes from meeting somebody else's request and and need for help. That's fantastic. You know, I've been following GoFundMe, I would say for, I don't know, a dozen, maybe not a dozen years, but maybe eight years, nine years or so. And I remember Margaret being told that the average campaign is pretty small, relatively speaking. Yet we hear about these massive campaigns. You know, those are the ones that actually hit the news where there's a cause and the American public really wants to get behind it and millions of dollars are raised. But that's pretty atypical, is it not? It is. It is. And often, as you described, the the campaigns are smaller, therefore a, a distinct purpose and the people who are giving to the campaigns are people who know the beneficiary or know the person raising the money directly. And that is really the source of the funds, that micro philanthropy that is happening where people understand a need in their family or community and that they are seeking to participate in in that in addressing that need. Now there are individuals who are making requests for funds either on their own behalf or on behalf of someone else. And I guess there's also charities can be beneficiaries exactly. of these as well. How, how do charities tend to fare um, with the platform? 
You know, it's a great question. And I think a lot of people don't think of GoFundMe that way Mm -hmm. as being a resource for charities. But we do see people often raise money for charities. We have a lot of young people who will do this as a school project or just as a way to give back to their own community. And in those cases, the um, GoFundMe facilitates the donations going to the charity through, again, it's the same process, but instead of it going to an individual, it goes to a nonprofit or a charity that is able to then take the funds and do their great work that they are doing anyways, with that being able to use the platform. And it is our hope is that people will continue to use it that way as well as for individual cases, because the benefit is that sense that it is easy and people understand you press the button and the money goes into a a safe place that then the, again, the individual or the charity can take it and use it for the great work that they need to do. Margaret, how is GoFundMe structured? Is it a for-profit organization, a non-for-profit? Explain the, the structure of it. Sure. It is a for-profit organization. And, and we do also have GoFundMe.org, which is our nonprofit grant-making organization that we're really proud of and is a, a one of GoFundMe's closest partners. But GoFundMe.com is a for-profit organization, and that enables us to be able to reinvest in the platform to make sure that we do have experts in trust and safety and experts in compliance to make sure that we are constantly um, improving both our customers' experience and on the protection of the platform so that we're able to then always have a better experience and ensure that people know that they're going to be protected and their generosity is going to be protected while they're using our products and services. So Margaret, when I think of making a gift to an individual on a platform like GoFundMe, I guess the biggest thing is to create some type of call to action, right? Yes. So how how do people generally get the word out that we've set up this campaign and, you know, we want you to give? How is how do people generally do that? It's a great question. And I think there's two ways that people often will do it. One is as you're going through the process of setting it up, once you set, you know, you press publish or you basically have the campaign go live, there's an option to share it with your network. And right there in the um, platform, either through email or text messages or SMS or various social media platforms, you can publish the campaign to that network. And you can ask your friends and acquaintances to support it that way. And then we also have people who share it with local media and then or local media have learned to come to our platform and and see what's going on in their community and find some of these stories. Oftentimes, those human interest stories are what attracts that media attention. It's not the fact of it having a GoFundMe, but the fact that the story is already there. And, And often these are stories that really inspire the best in all of us. They describe the hope because asking for help is essentially a hopeful act. And the people who are telling their stories and the stories that they are asking for help, they're really saying, they're telling those stories with dignity and they're offering donors 
the opportunity for agency. And th- that combination of hope, dignity, and agency is something that often is missing in the, the stories that get the most salacious attention. And I think our communities and all of us as individuals really crave those stories that show the best of us. And so between individuals sharing it with their own networks, and again, you know, our, our partners in local media, who are telling the stories of their own community, that's often the way that these stories get out beyond a first or second degree network for a particular cause. Margaret, what are some of the things we have to guard against with the platform? And you know, my business is in making sure that we protect donors so that they can be confident that their gifts land where they want them to go and that the money ultimately gets used for the way it was intended. Absolutely. Uh, With charities, you know, we sort of have this way of keeping account of what the charities do. How are we doing that with individuals? So if if an individual comes on a platform and says, you know, fund my operation, how do we know that it's really an operation that that you're actually funding? And how does GoFundMe vet for that? Sure. Well, so... One of the ways that we have both technology and human review within our platform, but because people tend to be asking their communities or people who know them, you have that social proof as well. So if someone's asking for something and members of the community are saying, that's not true. If something like that were to happen, we would get a signal where someone would report it and it, it, you know, prior to any money being released. So we have that ability, but we are always looking for new and additional ways to protect our donors' generosity. Being a safe and trusted place to give is our top priority. We think all the time about the ways in which we can do more and better to ensure that we are protecting the generosity. And we have zero tolerance for misuse of our platform. If there are reports, we look into them. If there is anything that comes up, we have a donor guarantee where people can request a refund. We also will refund the money for anyone that who feels like that what they thought they were giving money to is not what they ended up believing the money was being used for. Well, that's good to know. So if, if I gave to something and later on discovered that it wasn't what I intended to give to, or if the campaign s- somehow had issues, you would stand behind the campaign and make sure Absolutely. everyone was Absolutely. was made whole. That's, that's pretty, pretty great to hear actually. Yes. yes. Our, give it, our GoFundMe giving guarantee provides donors with a full refund in those very rare cases where something isn't right. And, you know, again, we, we take that incredibly seriously because the need for us to be able to ensure the integrity of our platform, that's what makes the endeavor possible. You know, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, while it's been around maybe a decade or so, it's still relatively new. We as citizens sort of depend on our state charity regulators to kind of protect us from things that go wrong, particularly around charity. And uh, I just was curious to know if you've had a relationship with some of these regulators so that you can help them do their job. Because I have to tell you, uh, most people don't know, but the the state charity regulators are very pressed Mm-hmm. You know, many of them have thousands and thousands of charities in their state. 
and the resources that they can put to policing these organizations is not generally what you would want. And we could certainly use more in the way of resources. And yet when new things come on, they really are kind of behind and they don't necessarily know how to even go about protecting us. So how have you worked with the state attorneys general uh, to make sure that the platforms are safe and compliant and that people are indeed protected as well as the organizations? Well, first of all, thank you for the question. One of the things that we've spent a lot of energy in, even before I was here, but especially in the last year since I've been here, is our partnership with the Better Business Bureau and making sure that we are constantly um, doing everything we can to reassure communities at every level, the state, local, and federal level, that of uh, making sure that they're aware of the processes that I just described Um, telling them about our giving guarantee, making sure they understand the ways in which we have systems set up to prevent fraud and abuse. And what we do, particularly when there are those crisis moments of to be able to verify fundraisers, because I think that is a, a moment when people's hearts are really open. If there is a weather disaster or some other type of crisis, Uh, And not having that generosity be exploited by people who might try and take advantage of them in those moments. Just recently, we worked with the CFO's office in Florida to come up with legislation to codify the rules around how crowdfunding responds during uh, weather disasters. And this was, um, I think, a source of, of great concern because Florida has lots of Uh, exposure to weather disasters. And this worry that people would somehow be taken advantage of in those moments was something that we too shared. And that's not always obvious that a company that is working on crowdfunding would be as worried about trust and safety and preventing any kind of misuse as we are. And so by going and working together on this legislation, by sharing the best practices that we've developed during our 10-year history of responding to these disasters and crises, we were able to really come up with a first of its kind and best in class set of rules that we are both really proud of, but they also were things that we were already doing. And so being able to share those stories with other states and local crisis response teams has been a real value of being able to build our team and our capacity to explain who we are and what we're doing. Margaret, what are some of the key things that people should be mindful of when they give at GoFundMe. And we know that most of the campaigns are just fine, but how do we ask people to be the first line of defense, so to speak? Well, we do have lots of ways people can report if they have concerns. But what I would say is if people see something that doesn't look like something that they are familiar with or that they're, they, you know, they don't have that sense of connection to it and they're not, if it's, it's being reported in the local media as verified, we, you know that we've done the work with that media outlet to be able to ensure that they are reporting on something that is true and actually verified. Similarly, in a crisis, we set up hubs so that there are, for example, with the flooding that's recently, the tragic flooding that's happening in Vermont, 
we have a hub that where we not only have a fund if if people aren't connected to individuals who are affected in that community where they can give to a fund that will later be distributed across those in need or the individual fundraisers that are on that hub have all been verified so you can know if it's there that you can trust it and i think lastly our desire is constantly to improve and so we will always be looking for new and additional ways to make sure people are protected and that our platform is the safest way i think as i mentioned we're incredibly proud particularly of the partnership with the better business bureau that we've been able to ensure that people know when we go out together that they can trust the the fundraisers that we are publicizing now, you mentioned you have a charitable organization as well, a foundation, I guess. Yes. Tell us about the foundation and its aims. So the GoFundMe.org is our 501c3 that is intended to be able to help people. It has an expansive mission to be able to share resources, and it enables us to accept tax-deductible donations and to be able to distribute resources. We have just recently set up funds, as I mentioned, for natural disasters in in preparation for what we know is going to be a, unfortunately, we're anticipating wildfire and hurricane season. So what we're able to do is pre-position those funds and to be able to raise money so that when the time comes, the communities that are impacted and those local charities that may be overwhelmed with keeping their teams safe in a natural disaster, we can be able to be a part of the solution and to distribute those resources. And we're really proud of the partnership that we are able to build both with individuals who are changing their communities, but also the nonprofits that we're able to fund through the GoFundMe.org program. So as an individual, if there's a disaster, I might be able to give to your foundation and get a tax deduction, assuming that I'm eligible, you know, with the yes, tax code. Yes. But if, if, if so, then you then take that money and distribute it to which organizations would you be distributing it to any anyone that you were set up to give to in that particular case or can i designate an organization or how does that work so we tend in those situations so for example with our wildfire fund Mm -hmm. it will be for organizations and individuals who meet the charitable class designation for that specific fund so Unfortunately, in California over the last year, we've had some really devastating fires. And so the um, communities within California that have been impacted, we worked with the California Office of Emergency Services to respond to specific communities, but also to understand who are the organizations that really can absorb those resources and get them mobilized and operating in the communities quickly. So those are the kinds of things that we're able to do through GoFundMe.org. Margaret, looking into the future, how do you see GoFundMe positioned really to assist with American and maybe even global generosity? I love this question. I believe that people are experts in their own lives and the ability for people to have a platform to tell their stories of what they care about and what they need or what they want and then enabling people to connect directly with those stories, those stories that inspire, those stories that connect 
I think it will deepen everyone's commitment to generosity. It will deepen the idea that we're all in this together and it will deepen the belief and it, it will prove that there is enough when we work together. And I think for us to be a part of the global generosity movement and this idea of turning towards each other rather than away is the goal for the future and and really to imagine us as living out the ability and to really realize this connection that we all know we're all connected to each other and GoFundMe shows us every day the ways in which that connection can make us stronger as individuals and as a society. Well, Margaret, you know, clearly I can see that you have a passion for this and you talked about how you came to GoFundMe. I'd like to go a little bit deeper into your life and try to see if there's a particular set of motivations that has drawn you to wanting to be at a place that is enabling others to give and uh, find those stories, as you're saying. What is it about you and your life, if you don't mind me asking? Sure that has sort of given you this passion for this work. I mean, you could very easily do the job as a sort of rote everyday thing. And, you know, there's some tasks that need to be achieved. There's some people who need to be managed. There are some systems that need to be developed. You don't necessarily have to have a great passion for this, but it appears to me that you do. Why is that? Where does that come from? Uh, It's a great question. I think I've been incredibly fortunate to have a family that has always believed in public service and and my grandparents and parents and my community um, growing up, that community service and civic engagement, really thinking about what could you do, what more could you do, was a question that we talked about a lot. Um, I grew up in D.C. in the 80s and 90s. And there was a lot that the city needed from all of us who lived there. And that was something that, again, my family, my community, my church and school took very seriously. And then throughout my life, I feel like I've been given more opportunities than I could ask for. From everything from my earliest opportunities, I had the advantage of being able to be a part of AmeriCorps, which is a national service program. And it wasn't Teach for America, but it was a sort of a similar program to that, where we worked in public schools with young people and their families and teachers. And I saw how much together we were able to accomplish. And this idea that if we all just dig a little bit deeper and share what we have with each other, there was often much more than people expected for us to be able to do. And throughout my career, I have had the good fortune of having examples and mentors. We talked about Attorney General Holder, who continues to be just a beacon of service and and constantly asking, what more can he do? What more can each of us do to realize the possibility? Because our communities and our country and and really the world are only as good as the efforts we all put into it. And so for me, that is the aspiration that together it is within our power to build the world that we want to see. 
And so I see GoFundMe as inherently a part of that at individual level, as well as being able to be a resource for every person in every community, eventually everywhere in the world. That's amazing. And uh, kudos to you. You know, I kind of see what you're doing uh, because I also am affiliated. I chair the board of a, an organization that started Text to Give. Mm-hmm. So it's a way for people to text a donation to a charity to help that charity do its work. And it's immediate. It's generally in response to a disaster. So we're mm-hmm. we're connecting in many of the same ways here. And I get it because it's at those moments when our hearts are really moved by something going on in a community that we want to help and we want to do it yes. quickly and instantly and without a lot of red tape, so to speak. But we also want to be sure that it's going to get where we want it to go. And I see why you should be so passionate about GoFundMe's potential and what it's doing, because it's similar to what we're doing with the Mobile Giving Foundation. Uh uh Um, I'll, I'll say this, Margaret, the time will come, I think, when all of us will be looking for ways to create a better living environment for those of us who may be left out or less fortunate. And I say that because we're all going to realize at some point just how vulnerable we are. Yes. And I don't say that in a negative way, but we have facing us enormous challenges, whether that be with the new immigrants coming to our country who are trying to get settled, whether that be with employment and the loss of jobs as a result of technology, whether that be the challenges that we see with education and people not being able to connect their education to work whether that be with health issues, whether that be with the environment. Um, There's so many challenges that we have before us that I just can't believe that more and more people won't begin to see just how vulnerable we are as human beings and that the only way forward is for all of us to find ways to support those who are needing our help, because at some point it's possible, no matter what our circumstances, that we're going to need that help too. And so I'm just happy that uh, GoFundMe is around and it's available currently. I hope that you continue to build on the platform, that you keep it safe and trust trustworthy, and that people use it to the extent that they believe that it's their opportunity and it's their way to give back. So I just wanted to say that. And I wanted to just congratulate you too, because again, you're someone who could be doing any number of jobs. When I look at your background, uh, there's no reason why you, you could have couldn't be uh, in another company making a lot of money and doing, maybe you're making a lot of money now. I don't know, (laughs) but that's not the point. The point is simply this. What you chose to do with your life is helping others give back. And that's important. 
So I just wanted to just hold that up. Well, thank you. You're somebody who could be doing a lot of things. You could be, you could be vice president of the United States, given what you've done. <laughs> that is a really hard job. You think crowdfunding is complicated? Woof. But we need we need people who've done things like you to manage complicated things. Well, thank you, thank you, I, I thank you for your leadership. Thank you for this podcast and the stories that you help to lift up. I think highlighting the power and the importance of generosity is something that cannot be overstated. I think that we are all desperate to believe that we have more in common than we don't. And you are a reminder. Each one of your shows is extraordinary and you help bring us back to each other. And so thank you for your leadership and, and thank you for having me. This has been a real pleasure. Well, you've heard you've heard this great leader in our country, Margaret Richardson. She's with GoFundMe and she's leading important work there. And we were really fortunate to have her. If this is the first time you've heard this podcast, I hope you will subscribe and I hope you will listen to future shows. We've been doing this for almost three years now and we don't spend a lot of money on marketing. So the only way we can grow and get the word out about it is that you share what you've heard with others and you pass this on to others in your community so that they can hear these great leaders that we've been able to bring to the show. And by the way, if you want to support, we should probably set up a GoFundMe campaign for the podcast. Mark. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> well, maybe we will. But I think for those of you who do want to support it for now, you can go to our website, give.org, and you can make a donation. And we would generally use that for, for the purposes of the Wise Giving Alliance, which are great purposes to make sure that all donations are used appropriately and charities are being accountable to the public. So thank you for listening. We'll be right back here next week with another show. You've just listened to the Heart of Giving podcast with Art Taylor. Be sure to tune in next time for a brand new episode. To listen to our other interviews, visit heartgiving.podbean.com. That's heartgiving.podbean.com. Subscribe to our show on major podcast platforms. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are the views and opinions of the guests, not those of the BBB Wise Giving Alliance or program affiliates. This podcast is for information and educational purposes only and is copyrighted with all rights reserved. This podcast is protected by Podbean's Terms of Service.